Sound check. Sound check. Steve, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Can you hear me? Yep. May want to come a little closer to the mic. How's it? Okay, perfect. Perfect. All righty. At the camp. Can you hear me? Sound check. Hey, Dr. Burt. Hey, Steve. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Coming in clear. All righty.
seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Good evening. Welcome to another evening of Dr. Cliff Burton Friends featuring the absolute very best in all the women's sports and HBCU athletics. And boy, we have a great show for you tonight. Uh, we don't have my co-host, Jim Waddell. He had a family emergency, but we are going to wish him well, his prayers, for sure. But tonight we are going to introduce to you, of course, we'll start with none other, Dr. Marlo Kemp. Say hello to everybody, Marlo. Now, good evening, everybody. Welcome to the show. We're so glad that you are tuned in and listening. All righty. And then we have none other, our basketball analyst, our sports analyst, who's been with us now a few weeks. She's enjoying the show. And I want you to say hello to him. Steve, right. Say hello, Steve. Hey, good evening, everyone. It's good to be here with you. All righty. And we also want to welcome to our team, Ms. Latoya Diana Pugh. She's helping us now to be working in our marketing department. She's studying the show. She's doing a tremendous job already. And she's in the chat room. Diana, hello. Hello, hello, Diana. All righty. So let's get going tonight. Um, we want to walk, walk wish. All of our veterans this past weekend was Veterans Day on Saturday. And um, we want to wish every man, woman that puts on that uniform, past, present, and future, the absolute very best. We thank you for the service to our country. Oftentimes, we may debate whether we think our government should go to war, not go to war, et cetera. But there is no debate of the discipline, the sacrifice, the dedication that those who put on this uniform when they are given the orders to call and the days they put themselves in sacrifice for our freedom make. And so we want to right off from the beginning of our show, we want to make sure that we give them a nice hand clap. Oh yeah. And, uh, and we want to wish everyone well and safety. Now, um, before we get started back, uh, I'm coming to Steve and Marlo, um, on a military front, this past weekend, Sunday evening, over in the Mediterranean, five American service members were killed in a military plane crash. Uh, they were doing some training exercises, and all five crew members were killed when the aircraft went down on Friday evening. And it was doing what's called a routine air refueling mission as part of the military training. Um, the names have not been released in, in respect to the families as of this time, but we just want to say a few words I'm going to come to you first, Dr. Kemp, on behalf of the uh, those who do service for the country. Uh, happy Veterans Day delay, but also this incident that happened in the Mediterranean to those families. Dr. Kemp. Yeah, thanks, Dr. Burt. Yeah, we definitely wanted to send a, a happy Veterans Day, belated Veterans Day to all of our military uh, men and women. We thank you so much for your time, your service, and all for always keeping us safe. Um, thank you for putting your lives on the line for us. Uh, we, we send our condolences for those five military personnel and their families. Um, just, you know, our heart goes out to them, um, you know, just to, you know, you, you would think that you would talk to your loved ones um, and they're just going out on a routine training mission. Um, and, you know, just to have something like this happen to them, it's, um, it's a tragic Oh, our hearts, our hearts yeah, definitely yeah. Go, go out to them. Um, and I, I was reading that they were actually from uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, 
Yeah. And um, the youngest member, crew member was 24. Um, you know, they were young, 24, 26, 27, and, and two in their 30s. And and this just um, happens, you know, in seven months ago, you know, they had nine soldiers that were killed um, and they were also from the 101st. Um, we know about that, you know, definitely living close to or going to school close to Fort Campbell. Mm-hmm. So our heart goes out to them. Yeah. Anytime yeah. you put on that uniform and and, and it sometimes comes from enemy fire, but the training, you have to train in dangerous situations or even routine in order to be ready for war. And sometimes these things happen. Uh, there's been some other crashes of U- U.S. military aircraft in recent years. An F-35 stealth warplane that went down in September with the pilot was able to eject. And in March, two Army helicopters crashed with a nighttime training mission Again, Marlo, I think this is in Kentucky, the one you're talking about. So we have to continue to stay prayed up. We always want to continue to keep our military uh, personnel in our prayers abroad and state. Steve, you're coming on the men, uniform, men and women uniform. Well, like uh, to piggyback off you all, uh, happy belated uh, Veterans Day. And um, I've had family in the military and um, I've got a nephew right now that's uh, in the Navy and he's out at sea right now. And you know, I guess it's just hard. You, they, they've given their lives for their country. And when you put that uniform on, I mean, you, you've got to be brave. You really, really do. And, and you are accepting a mission. And like I say, you have to be disciplined. I mean, it's just my heart goes out to those families, the men and women of the military and the families of the men and women of the military because they're in the military too. If you got family members over there, you know, it's always a constant worry. And just like Marlo said, you, you think you're going out on just a routine training mission and you're going to be talking to them later and this happens. So my heart just goes out, out to all the families. Yeah. Thank you so much, Steve. We will continue to keep our men and women in our thoughts and prayers. Oh, yeah. Here we go again. Perlin, uh, Texas, an area, a country that uh, Dr. Kemp is familiar with. Uh, this past, I believe, Sunday night, two people arguing, 10-year-old boy in the shop uh, and made a guy's hospital. Uh, there was also a 14-year-old girl, an 18-year-old man, who are also in stable condition uh, in a 60 year old in surgery just because of an argument and uh, someone decides to just start shooting. So this is the latest um, mass shooting. Officer Chad Rogers from the Perlin Police Center Sunday evening news conference. The two people and possibly a third person exchanged gunfire with handguns inside the market, inside of the market. And that's how these people got injured. Uh, Dr. Kemp, give us your Give us your thoughts on this, please. And those can write, type in the chat your thoughts um, in our audience. Um, thanks, Dr. Burr, for bringing this story up. Here we go uh, once again. Um, someone decides to, you know, just decide to take justice in their own hands. And um, instead of settling the, ar- the argument or whatever, just going about their own business, um, decides to just start shooting um, at a antique flea market 
and like you said in Pearland, Texas it's right outside of Houston and I've actually lived in Pearland before so um, I'm definitely familiar with that area and it's just sad that um, you know the people cannot settle whatever differences there that they have without picking up a gun um, and feeling like that's the way that they have to you know settle everything is my mm -hmm. heart goes out to you know the the people that are injured you know they're going out on a just going out to shop and you know never thinking that anything would happen you know to them so um hopefully they will definitely um catch i think it's they think it's three suspects um possible suspects um and definitely did see that there was an 18 year old suspect uh, allegedly um yeah. so hopefully hopefully whoever it is you know they will definitely catch them sure steve your thoughts it's it's senseless and you you and it's sad because we've become desensitized to all of this and and it's sad uh today we had two young children two young little girls shot uh because someone was trying to kill a 16 year old boy and fired into the house and shot two little girls in nashville, and, nashville Tennessee. Yeah, right here in nashville and uh i don't i don't i don't i don't think they're deceased but I think their injuries are critical. Uh, you know, it's, it's such a sad way to settle anything with a gun. Mm -hmm. And the sad part about it, I'm a gun owner mm -hmm. and a gun carrier. And when I started carrying my gun, it actually made me calmer and not want to get into a confrontation where I would even have to use it. Mm -hmm. So it made me calmer because I know me and I know, I, you know I've got a temper. And so it's actually made me calmer because I don't, I don't want to put myself in a position to have to use it unless I am forced to. But I mean, this is it's just senseless. It's pitiful. We'll continue to stay on top, of it, on top of this thing. We'll continue to pray for a better outcome and hopefully some improved legislation and just some increase a better moral fabric in this company in the country excuse me um hey we'll stay on top of this let's switch our women of the month this month and listen we are going to do the rest of the year in review this will now be in the air this november 2019 last year we have had a woman of the month each month so we're going to do our present but between now and the end of the year we're going to catch up on some of the old so let's start first with our woman of the month cheryl miller Yes, Militad. Uh, we talked about her last week, but this week we're going to talk about her high school career. She played basketball at Riverside Polytechnical High School from 1978 to 1982. She was a four-year letter winner, letter team to 132-4 record. She was awarded the Dial Award for the National High School Scholar Athlete of the Year in 1981. She was the first player, male or female, to be named an All-American by Parade Magazine four times. She averaged 32.8 points, 15 rebounds a game. Miller was Street and Smith's National High School Player of the Year in both 1981 and 1982. In her senior year, she scored 105 points in the game against Norte Vista High School. She set California State records for points scored in a single season, 1,156, and points scored in a high school career, 3,405. Late Kobe Bryant. When he talked about today's WNBA players, he named three players he thought could, should and could play in the NBA. 
Diana Taurasi, Delena Deladonna, and Maya Moore. Maya Moore. But before time, before that time, there was no WNBA. The late Kobe Bryant would have put Cheryl Miller on that team. Steve, I'm coming to you. Dr. Kim, I'm coming to you. Cheryl Miller. The best I've seen still. She is still the best I've seen. She could... She was a scorer, she was a rebounder, she was energetic, she was she could get a shot off, she could she was just amazing. I remember telling a, a friend of mine who coaches girls basketball, I said, Cheryl Miller is the best women's basketball player I've ever seen. And the second best I've seen you mentioned was Elena Deladon. Yeah. I said, uh, but Cheryl Miller was just she was that kind of athlete that just could just play. Mm -hmm. And uh, like I said, 105 points in a game. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's just awesome. I just wish that we had a WNBA when she was playing because, I mean, you're talking about, I mean, she would have been like the equivalent of women's basketball to Michael Jordan. Yeah. She would have had her own shoes. She would have had, I mean, and she would have in spite of young ladies who were playing basketball. Yeah. Dr. Kemp? I mean, what what else can I say? Steve has summed it up and said it all. Cheryl Miller, definitely one of a kind. Um, like you said, just to be named the first player, male or female, um, to be named uh, by Parade Magazine four times. Um, and we're dating ourselves because we do remember Parade Magazine coming up. And then just to score like Steve said, 105 points in <laughs> in one game. Uh, where were the other players? I felt sorry for them at that particular time, but she is definitely the greatest. Definitely oh, yeah. the greatest. Cheryl Miller, let's give her a hand. I want to welcome, we have 21 engaged on the show. Going up. Welcome to the show. Now, I told you we'll be doing the year in review. We started last November, and believe it or not, our first woman of the month, none other than Miss Lucia Harris. Now, those who weren't with us at the time, let me run it back. Lucia May Harris, born February 10, 1955. She died January 18, in 2022. Lucia Harris was considered to be one of the pioneers of the women's game. She played for Delta State University. She won three consecutive associations for intercollegiate athletic for women's national championships. She also, uh, the predecessor, they, this league was the predecessor of the NCAA. She played on for the United States and won a silver medal in 1976 Olympic Games, the first women's basketball tournament. She played professionally with the Houston Angels of the Women's Professional Basketball League, and she was the first and only woman ever officially drafted by the National Basketball Association. That was the men's league, of course. Harris was inducted into the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame at the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. Let me give you just a few of her numbers, okay? Uh, in a college career, she scored or she averaged 32 points and 16 rebounds a game. And uh, she scored a total of 138 and 63 rebounds in four games at the national tournament and was named as the tournament's most valuable player. This lady was such a force, and I mean one to be dealt with, the Delta State legend, Miss Lucia Harris. I'm going to go to Steve because he wasn't with us at the beginning. Steve? 
Nasia Harris, what do you think? You know, Cliff, I think I remember her because I remember when Delta State was good. But those numbers are awesome. I mean, I mean, just awesome. And I'm glad you bringing her up to the forefront because people, including myself, need to know about somebody like that that you really just didn't get to see play. So I'm just glad that you, you were bringing her to the forefront. Oh, yeah. So she was our first woman of the month last November of 2022. And that is none other than Miss Lucia Harris. We have plenty more for you. We'll start bringing you about two of them per week. We're going to get through all 12 before this year is out. Now, got another one for you. We talk about our women executives of the week. And boy, we have one for you. Her name is Kenyatta. Bino. Kenyatta Bino, B-Y-N-O-E. She is the Vice President of Creative Strategy and Marketing for One Team Partners. She's a lifelong sports fanatic whose purpose has always been crystal clear. Self-described strategic thinker with a passion for writing, established herself as an industry giant early in her career. Notable marketing roles at companies like Jeep, Microsoft, Volkswagen. Often, she was one of the few Black women holding rank. Bino puts it, I always knew I would land in the sports industry. I was ready to attack that passion as a fan. I work as one of team partners. She helps empower athletes to maintain agency over their name, image, and likeness. And in 2017, Bino was recognized as part of Ad Week's Most Powerful Women in Sports and Sports Business Journal's Game Changers for the ground up work she's done across the industry and the future she's helping to create for Black athletes and executives. Dr. Kim, what do you think about Yes. Okay. I'm here. I'm sorry. I was just waiting for the, the crowd to die down. <laughs> Very exciting. She is definitely one exciting um, young lady. And it's, it's an honor to just read about her. Um, wasn't sure if you also mentioned that she was like the VP of the Global Marketing and Partnership for Spalding, which yeah. we all are familiar with, um, you know, because that's the uh, official basketball and the backboard of the nba and she also was involved in the ncaa licensing and athletic endorsements in the athlete endorsements um as well as a senior uh, manager for other companies such as uh, volkswagen jaguar and porsche so this young lady is definitely one powerful VP and marketing person. Um, so I'm happy that we have her as one of our uh, woman executive of the week. Oh yeah. And uh, we're learning to play the game and we have to learn to play the game on the field, more importantly, off the field. And uh, we just want to say, can you about Oh yeah. All right. We have some history here. I'm going to come to you. But first, I'm going to come to you. The Las Vegas Raiders boast a truly historic time in NFL football. The black leadership has hired a black general manager, a black head coach, a black head coach in Antonio Pierre, and a black president in Champ Kelly. This is history making by the Davis ownership. First time ever in the NFL. Steve. What do you think about this groundbreaking news that happened about a week ago? By the way, the team is 2-0 since they hired Coach Pierce. 
See? Well, you know what? I, I'm just, it's just awesome. I'm glad that this happened. It's awesome. But I'm not surprised at who did it. Uh-huh. Because, you know, his daddy, Al, hired the first black head football coach, Art Shell. Yes. And so he's always been progressive. And I've always, I've always, I was always a Raiders fan anyway because I always liked Outlaws. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but it, Mark uh, has uh, carried the torch that I'm sure his father would be proud of in doing this and, and making headway and being the first one to do it. And I just think it's great. Absolutely. Dr. Kemp. Mm-hmm. I think it's wonderful and amazing, you know, that we have definitely um, made history once again as being the first African-American GM president and the head coach. And hopefully this won't be the last time. And what I thought was very interesting is just the um, head coach as well as the GM. They were former players you know, as well. Um, so I think it's amazing. And of course, Miss um, Douglas Moore, Morgan, uh, the president, was the, is the third female and third African-American mm-hmm. to become the president of an NFL team. So our hat goes off to the Las Vegas Raiders. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. We're going to take a 30-second commercial, and then we're going to be right back. Welcome back, Dr. Cliff Burton. Friends, I want to welcome Chris P to the show. He's listening as well, along with we got 24 engaged listeners right now and counting. Now, we want to, we're coming down to volleyball championship time. As we said, we will stick with this all year. We didn't give it the coverage last year. So here we go. In the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference, we announced last week, Talladega women won the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference. LaShonda Spurgeon who won the conference championship and will be heading the Nationals. Let me announce it now. She is coming on our show as a guest next Tuesday. I just got the confirmation today. She's a great coach, a great person, and yes, we look forward to having her. That's the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference. Now let's go to the SIAC, Spring Hill Badgers. Steve, when you talk about Dynasty, they have now won their fifth Women's SIAC championship in a row. Steve, and their coach name is Peggy Martin. Uh, she's been there for about six or seven years. She's come from another program. She has won over 1,000 volleyball matches as a coach, and we've been trying to get her on this show as well. She's a legend. Her name is Peggy Martin. But the Spring Hill Badgers have won the SIAC championship five years in a row in volleyball, and they are going to the Division II Nationals. What do you think about this, Steve, for excellence? <laughs> I mean, you know, that is awesome. Five straight years. 
And I don't know if people realize, volleyball people will realize it, how hard it is to do it in volleyball because like one great volleyball coach told me, he said in volleyball, he coached volleyball and basketball, he said in volleyball, you can make more of a difference in winning and losing. So it's, it is, it's more difficult in basketball. So for her to win five straight and it's almost on an equal playing field, I mean, that's just a, that's a great accomplishment. That's a dynasty. Yeah. And let me tell you, they defeated a very good Edward Waters College, who was their third year in moving up to Division Two. In fact, Edward Waters College won the first match, 25, first set, 25-23. But then Spring Hill's experience and dominance came back to win the next three. Dr. Kemp, your thoughts on the Spring Hill Badgers going back to the Division II playoffs, national playoffs? Oh, yeah, I see a dynasty here, as Steve said. And just for Coach Martin, she if she's only been with the school for seven years and this is her fifth win, you know, in a row, um, they definitely have something going on uh, down in Spring Hills. Um so I'm I'm excited for them and let's see what they can do again next year. See if they can pull it out next year. And good Absolutely. job to Edward Waters as well. Yes. And we'll see how Spring Hill does representing the SIAC in the national tournament. The fields to be announced soon. Now, for other Division II playoffs, the CIAA will have their tournament in Bowie, Maryland. It's 11-16 through 11-19. The ACs join the arena is where they'll be playing the semifinals and the finals. So we look forward to that. And then we go to Division One, the MIAC and the SWAC. Both tournaments will take place 11-17 to 11-19. The MIAC will take place on Delaware State University's campus, and SWAC will take place on Prairie View University's campus. So we wish all well. We'll see how it turns out, and we'll see who's going to be going on to the national tournament. Next week, we'll catch you up on the NCAA Division One Volleyball Championships, and we'll see how that's going. So let's give up. Great hand. Volleyball season. Moving along. We said we covered this year. And here we are. Let's go basketball with our women. Let's talk first in the CIAA. Everybody's getting started slowly here. And these records here are, again, just the overall record. No one has played a conference game yet. In the Northern Division, the CIAA, Lincoln, PA, 1-0. Virginia State, 1-0. Virginia Union, 2-0. Bowie State, 1-1. Bluefield State, 0-0. Elizabeth City State, 0-1. They're the Vikings, the defending champions from last year's tournament. Southern Division, Fayette, 2-0. Mississippi State, 1-1. Claflin hasn't played a game yet. Nor Johnson, Smith, nor Livingston. And Shaw is 0-1. So that's what it looks like in the CIAA standings this year. Now, go to the women. In the SIAC, the Southern Intercollegiate Athletic Conference, okay? In the Eastern Division, again, these are the team's overall records. Clark Atlanta, 2-0. Allen, 1-0. Edward Waters, 1-0. Benedict hasn't played a game. Fort Valley State hasn't played a game. Even Savannah State, Albany State, 0-2. When you go to the Western Division, Kentucky State, 1-0. Tuskegee, 1-1. Lamont Owen, 1-1. Spring Hill, 0-0. And Miles, 0-1. Excuse me, Central State, 0-2. And Lane, 0-2. That's the early start. To the season now that we are in standing for the uh, SIAC. One more. Let me give you one more. The Gulf Coast 
athletic conference, the NAIA, the only African-American NAIA conference in America led by Dr. Kiki Baker-Barnes. Basketball, here we go. Overall, Talladega, three and one. Dillon, one and two. Fisk, one and three. Oakwood, two and two. Philander Smith, four and zero. Russ, the defending champions, two and zero. Southern University, Owen in New Orleans, zero and four. Igloo, zero and one. Virgin Islands, new to the league. Oh, they haven't played a game yet. And Wiley out of Texas, they are five and one. So there you have it, Doctor Kemp. What do you think? It's real early. What do you think, Gulf Coast Conference? What do you think? Oh yeah, it's, it's definitely early, but I think Wiley. Wiley College, they're definitely getting prepared, them along with Russ College and Philander Smith, um, you know, starting off their, with their overall um, good records. So we would definitely see what happens. And we're rooting, we're pulling for you all school, Fisk. Um, so we would <laughs> definitely see what happens uh, in this conference this year. Like you said, it's, it's still early. Um, so they have a ways to go, but we're rooting for them. Oh, yeah. And, and, and at this time of year, everybody's playing some tough non-conference games. Most are playing upper division in, in Division Two and in, in NIAs for tough enough for the season. So the overall record is not truly indicative of how they're going to do in the conference. But, hey, we give them a hand clap. And let's let them keep getting ready for the season. Now, let's talk about Division One. Ever since the maneuver last year in the NCAA Division One Women's Finals, which was highly televised. Everybody's been talking about Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese. But these are preseason All-Americans. Of course, headed by Caitlin Clark and Asian, uh, Angel Reese. But you also have Stafford's, Cameron Brink, UConn, Paige Becker's back. And then the fifth spot, Virginia Tech's Elizabeth Kitley and Indiana's Mackenzie Holmes, a tie. So they are your five All-Americans to start this season in Division One. Steve, give me your comments. I know you love the sh love shooters. <laughs> Caitlin <laughs> Clark. <laughs> hey, look here. I know. We'll let it go by. Hey, look we'll here. Let it go by. It's uh, already a great start to, a to the season. South Carolina's played two games. They've gone over 100 in both games. Well, he hit 100 one game, went over 100 the other game. But uh, Angel Reese, she's a great one. Caitlin Clark is like a Steph Curry. And I'm so glad. UConn got beat the other night. But I'm so glad for Paige Beckers. She came back. She had seven in limited minutes the first game. And the other night in a losing effort, she had 27 points. And I'm just so happy for her because she you could just tell the love she has for that game and how much it ate her up not to be playing last year. And uh, I'm just just really happy for her. But uh, I don't know what the Vols are going to do this season, but, uh, you know, uh, and, and LSU has lost. Yes. Like you said, they lost their first, lost the first game of the season. So it's, it's going to come down to it. I'm hoping South Carolina will do something. Yeah. Dr. Kemp, NCAA Division One women's basketball. Oh, yeah, I'm excited. I can't wait till this season starts. Um, I see that just preseason, you know, they had, of course, LSU and UConn, and then Iowa, it's three. But um, and I was surprised South Carolina was uh, ranked six. But we'll see, you know, where everybody falls. And I just, I definitely can't wait because we already know Caitlin and Clark is going to be shooting the lights <laughs> out of everybody. <laughs> so, but I cannot wait. I can't wait to, to see some of the games. Absolutely. It's going to be, be a, some good matchups. 
Absolutely. It's going to be a great season coming up. Now, December 10th is a very important time in the WNBA. Just like we have big hype over the NBA's lottery pick, well, December 10th is the WNBA's lottery pick. Let me spell it out for you. Indiana Feet, they go by the teams that had the worst record over the last two seasons. That team is the Indiana Fever, 18 and 58. They have a 44% chance of getting the number one pick, but they have a guarantee getting the number three pick. Phoenix, Seattle are also picks. Let me tell you what that really means. They have a 44% chance of putting Caitlin Clark with a Leah Boston over the next few years if they get her in this draft coming up in April. But the lottery is determined on December 10th. I'm coming to you, Dr. Kent First and Steve. What do you think if Caitlin Clark ends up in Indiana with Aaliyah Boston? Uh, what do you think is going to happen there, Fred? Oh, wow. Then all they, you know, pretty much need is uh, another big player. And then they're going to they're going to definitely be giving the other teams a run for their money, because, again, they won't be able to stop Caitlin Clark. And then Aaliyah Boston, you know, she's going to definitely improve um, after her rookie year after this past season. So uh, that would definitely be exciting if they could pick her up. Absolutely. And Steve, you're right. Aaliyah Boston, uh, Marlo, is the uh, rookie of the year, already an all-star. So, Steve, what do you think about that team, if they could add Caitlin Clark, get her in the lottery to go along with Aaliyah Boston? Hey, look here. Caitlin Clark is the real deal. She, <laughs> she, she is ready. She's going to come into that league, and she's going to be tearing it up. And that's, a, that's, that's what you need, too, a good one-two punch like uh, Caitlin Clark and, uh, and, and Aaliyah Boston. That's a great one-two punch. But uh, uh, Caitlin Clark is ready. She's ready to play now. Yeah. What makes Steve, uh, we see a lot of shooters, but what separates her from, I mean, when I'm talking about her whole game, from many other players, and you, you begin to compare her to Stephanie? Uh, one thing about her, she can handle the ball. Mm -hmm. She can go left and right, and she can create separation to get that shot off. And once she gets that shot off, she's got a pure stroke. She's got a pure stroke, got a great, great elbow bend, great rotation on the ball, great arc, but she can get it off. And then you have to respect her because she can go by you and score, and she's a great passer. So she is a complete, what I love about her, she's a complete offensive weapon, and I love that about her game. Yeah. Caitlin Clark, absolutely. We hope. And we all hope to see it with the Indiana Fever. But wherever she goes, the WNBA is ready for her. All right, now. Residential, commercial, land, builder, developer, investor, and services. That is prenaeestates.com. That's the website, 404-964-4294. If you're looking for any of these things to be done in Atlanta, in the Georgia area, one more time. PReneeEstates.com, 404-964-4294. We will be back in just about a minute.
All right. Welcome back, Dr. Cliff Burton Friends, featuring the absolute very best in all the women's sports and HBCU athletics. And we want to remind you, we want to remind all of our listeners that we are now have been downloaded our shows in over nine countries, including the US. We are heard worldwide on Podbeam, but let's continue to spread the word. Secondly, We've had a record downloads of our show last week. We had over 90 downloaded, 83 downloaded shows in the past week. So continue to spread the word. We're growing here at Dr. Cliff, Bert, and Fran. Now, let's talk a little bit of HBCU football. Let's talk Division Two. They've finished the regular season, and they're also finished with their conference championships and ready for the national playoffs. In the CIAA, Virginia Union defeated Fayetteville State University this past Saturday in the CIAA Division II championship football game. They will play this weekend to open up the Division II national playoffs in the first round. We'll let you know who that opponent is or was next week. Let's go over to our other Division II. The SIAC, Coach Chenis Berry and Benedict, has gone undefeated in conference play for the second year in a row, and they defeated Allen to win the SIAC championship game. He will have a bye in the first round, so the following week he will host a winner of a region. We wish both of these teams for the SIAC and the CIAA well in the playoffs as they make a run for the national championships. We've been following them all year. And, uh, Dr. Kemp, what do you think? Virginia Union, this is the first time that they've won a conference championship since 2001. Virginia Union Panthers. Dr. Kemp, what do you think about it? Oh, that's exciting. I'm, I'm I'm excited for Virginia Union, like you said, since 2001, 2002. Um, so that's very exciting for their team. And they've definitely been playing very well this year, and as well as uh, Benedict. So um, we definitely wish both teams well. We're rooting for them, and hopefully they'll make it to the next round. Absolutely. The playoffs are tough. Uh, there was uh, several players, and we're going to start talking about NFL prospects from HBCUs, but there were three players that played with the Chiefs. And one was from Fayetteville. He played in the playoffs last year. I can't remember his name. So don't sleep on Division II players. You may end up seeing them in the NFL. Steve, give me your thoughts. Division II, playoffs coming in football for the Union and Benedict College. Uh, congratulations to both schools. I know more about Virginia Union, and I'm really happy for them because, you know, they've got a, a history, especially a good history in basketball. Yeah. But I'm, I'm happy for both teams, and uh, good luck to both teams also. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, let's go to our two Division One conferences. Boy, we have some shakeups. Let's go to the MEAC. North Carolina Central won the MEAC last year. Also, they defeated Jackson State and Deion Sanders uh, in the in the bowl for the Black College Championship. Well, they were cruising, but they got blowed out this past Saturday from Howard University. So now, North Carolina Central, 3-1, Howard, 3-1, all-conference play. Morgan State, 3-1, South Carolina State, 2-2, North Carolina State, 1-3, Delaware State, 0-4. This is the way it has to play out. North Carolina Central has to go on and beat Delaware State this last game. And Howard has to lose to Morgan State in order for North Carolina Central to play Black College Championship when they play the champion of the SMAC Conference. If not, North Carolina Central out. Howard plays in the Celebration Bowl. Howard is going to play for the Black College 
national championship. Everybody thought it was going to be Central automatically, but uh, something happened this past Saturday. That's why you do what? You play the game now. Let's go over to the uh, SWAT Conference. In the Eastern Division of the SWAT Conference, FAMU has already wrapped it up. They're 7-2. and two. But in the other side, Alcorn State, in the West part, they got beat. So they have to play another game. They have to win out in order to play Florida A&M for the SWAT championship and then play the winner of the MEAC for the Celebration Bowl. So we still have another week or two in our Division One, and uh, it could get very, very interesting before it's all over. Steve, what do you think? Let's go first of all, and Dr. Kemp, I'm coming to you as well. What do we think about this talk SWAT? Fam, you winning the whole thing this year. And that would really be something because you know I'm real familiar with fam, really familiar with fam you when they used to come here and play uh Tennessee State, you know, when we were mostly playing uh, uh you know uh SWAT teams. Mm -hmm. But uh uh there's a, such an abundance of talent in Florida that uh you you can probably put a pretty good team together. And I watched a little bit of that Howard North Carolina Central game, and Howard really looked good. Mm -hmm. They really look good. They they deserve to win that game. They look they look good. Yeah, now, the MEAC only has I think six or seven teams, so some of our HBCUs and possibly Tennessee State may look in the future at joining the MEAC, leaving the OBC. Uh, Dr. Kemp, I'm going to throw this before we come to you. Last year. Staying on the Rattlers, Florida A&M started the season 0-2. They had some uh, difficulty with um, not the players weren't eligible, some administration. So they played the first two games of the season minus 20 of their best players. They uh, got blowed out by some Division I school, uh, a PWI, and then they lost to Jackson State. They got all their players back, and they didn't lose another game last year. Coach Willie Sims, they often felt that they were better than Jackson State. They didn't get to go to the playoffs, the celebration bowl, nor get a bid at large for the Division II championship. So they came back this year with a chip on their shoulder. And uh, what do you think about the Raptors' dominance this year in the SWAT conference? Oh, they're definitely um, taking names, calling <laughs> roll and taking names. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm happy for them. I, I really hope that they, you know, win it this year. Um, and as Steve said, Howard's been looking really, really good um, as well. But I hope FAMU is there. I hope they're able to pull it out, you know, this year, um, especially what happened, you know, the beginning of last year. But um, they held their own, and they're definitely holding their own again this year. Um, you kind of lost me there, Dr. Brett, when you were talking about the whole playoff situation and who has to win and lose it. <laughs> we'll come back at it again. We'll come back okay, at it thank again. You. Thank you. <laughs> I tell people the easiest thing is when we're not mentioning their name anymore, that means they lost and they're out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right now, hey, everybody, we're coming on the end of football season. It's been a great one. Now, I want to go to one of our schools we've been following, Dr. Kemp, Steve, familiar with them. They're not in the HBCU conference. In the OVC, but they are the Tennessee State Tigers. Had an interesting year. Interesting year. Going for their first winning season in about the last six or seven years. And but yet they stumbled a little this past Saturday against, I think it's Illinois or Eastern Illinois, and they lost to them. But even if they win their next game, they do not have a shot at winning the OVC championship nor going to the FCS playoffs. But Steve, 
What do you see with uh, Coach Eddie George? The school's making progress. The football team's making progress. But what do you think Tennessee State needs to do? One, you get back on the winning and playoff track. Number two, draw the crowds back out. Because they've had some slim crowds in Nashville this year. Steve? Well, one thing, as far as the crowd, they're playing in the Titan Stadium. And you seating, you got two little over 2,000 people, maybe 2,500 people sitting in a stadium that holds almost 70,000. Wow. Uh, what they need to do is upgrade the on-campus stadium. Just upgrade it. And you're right there. The kids are right there. The dorms are right there. They walk to the game. The people, people come out and make it uh, make it a home field advantage like it used to be. Mm-hmm. Then I'm sure you're going to have to uh, shore up recruiting, and you can recruit it to issue. You can, you can recruit there. I always wanted to be the head basketball coach there because you you can recruit it to issue. And uh, I haven't like I used to keep up with TSU football all the time. I don't even keep up with them anymore, you know, because it's just been kind of, for me, kind of a down thing going on over the last several years. But, um, you know, I still want them to win. But, um, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. They had a good year this 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 year. Of course, they played about three or four high school teams. But <laughs> they, uh, they, had, they, they, they did pretty good, though. But uh, hopefully Eddie can uh, stick around and uh, and uh, get some good coordinators in there and, and, and keep it moving. Yeah. Dr. Kemp, your thoughts? Tennessee State University, improving the football team, but bringing back the old big blue spirit and the fans to the stadium in Nashville. What do you think it's going to take for your alumni school? Um, I definitely agree with Steve. Um, as he said, um, we are definitely in support of Coach George. He has been doing a good job, at least trying to uh, get the record back on a winning track. Because when we were there, we were definitely winning. And so we were used to a winning record. But hopefully he can bring in additional coaches, you know, to and re, new recruits to definitely turn this um, around. And you know how I feel about uh, the, the stadium. So mm-hmm. definitely, um, I think with uh, alumni support, um, hopefully, as Steve said, we can definitely upgrade the whole mm-hmm. and, you know, get just get the games back on campus when we were there. It was nothing to just walk over to to watch the game and, and the stadium used to be just packed. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we can get get back to that. Mm-hmm. I and have a follow up question, uh, Steve, I'm going to come to you and then Dr. Kemp, both the alumni of the school. Do you think it would help in Tennessee State's case to join a MEAC to where now uh, you're starting to bring a majority of your games to HBCU? Because the MEAC needs some teams there because maybe the draw from the teams that are playing is not as big. What do you start, Steve? Come to you, you know, if you'd have asked me this question about a month ago, I would have said no. But the OVC is losing teams left and right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm, 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 and I never thought I'd say this. I wouldn't be opposed at being in the MEAC or the SWAC. If it's, I mean, because like I said, everybody has, we've had, I think, five schools this year that left the OVC and they're not 
the, the, the bottom feeders, they're your main schools, like Belmont with basketball, Eastern Kentucky, football and basketball. I mean, Murray State's gone. Everybody is leaving. Mm-hmm. And then you got some teams coming in like Lord Lindenwood, and I'm like, you know, but uh, hey, uh, unless it's going to be a change in uh, – the way things are going in the OVC, I, I I really wouldn't be opposed to it. I really wouldn't. Dr. Kemp? I think they should at least try to uh, get into the MEAC, and I think that that would definitely help just bring the crowd um, back to the games because, uh, once again, in the past, um, that is definitely um, the schedule that – the team was definitely playing some of those teams that's in the MEAC or the SWAC. Um, so I, I definitely agree. I think it will help the team as well as the school, and you'll get a lot more followers. All right. Well, we're going to keep cheering and keep pulling at the big blue and administration and scheduling. It all comes together because Tennessee State's a legendary football school, and they definitely, definitely, definitely deserve to have people in the stands when they play. All right, we're going to go ahead and we're going to talk about now the NFL and uh, we'll go through the scores <clears throat> for the week and see how some teams did. Well, let's just talk about, okay, let's just go through the scores then. Okay, first of all, you had the Bears defeated the Panthers 16 to 13. You had the Patriots lose to the Colts 10 to 6. By the way, Steve, do you think this is Belichick's last go around at it? Let me. Like a friend of mine said, if he doesn't get if he doesn't get fired, he might need to make the decision on his own. Sometimes you got to know when it's time to lead a party, mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. I think it's time. Yeah, because yeah. I tell you what, he's a he's a general manager and head coach, and he's killing him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's killing him. Yeah, Brady's like, not back there anymore. They got somebody different. You have to realize that dream is over, huh? Oh, that's over. <laughs> That's over. That's over. That's over. That sounds good. Let's get some yeah. going here. Browns 33, the Ravens 31, the Texans over the Bengals 30 to 27. The 49ers defeat the Jaguars 34 and 3. But both teams are 6 and 3, so the Jaguars have improved. Steve, the hottest team in the league, uh, team in the, league and Marlowe, the Vikings over the Saints 27 to 19. The Steelers over the Packers 23 to 19. The Titans lost to the Buccaneers 20 to 6. The Cardinals Defeated the Falcons 23 25. I'm going to stop right here. Jim's not here. Lions 41, the Chargers 38, and the Lions are 72. Dr. Kim, a Lions go to the Super Bowl, and anybody can type in the chat. No. <laughs> it's Jim's you, team. You asked, were, were the Lions going to the Super Bowl? Yeah. <laughs> hey, anything is possible this year, Dr. Burt. You just never know. The Lions are definitely, right. definitely surprising me. All righty. All righty. Here's another one. The Cowboys and the Giants did not play them anymore this year. The Cowboys beat the Giants 49-17. Steve, a few weeks ago, Jeff Butts was on the show and said the Giants are like having a Pop Warner team in the NFL this year. What are your thoughts, Steve? He's right. He's right. Can you believe (laughs) those season ticket holders, what they're going through? They ought to give them their money back. (laughs) They ought to give them their money back. I mean, that's pitiful. Yeah. I mean, they don't have a chance to win. No. Poor New York, the Jets, 
with the, I don't even know if Aaron Rodgers going to even try to come back now. Because mm. he was going to try to come back, but shoot, they, they can't hold on. <laughs> they cannot hold on. Seahawks over hey. the Panthers, the 29-26, and the Raiders over the Jets, 16-12. These other teams had to buy the Dolphins, the Rams, the Chiefs, and the Eagles. We're going to take a quick break, and then Steve, we're going to come back and do the NBA. But I want to talk about a great coach that we just cannot leave out the beginning of basketball season, and that is none other than John McClendon. We'll take 30 seconds, Steve. We're coming right back to you. Welcome back, Dr. Clifford and friends. This is a special Monday night's edition. We'll be back next Tuesday, um, and we had to make some changes. We'll talk about the end of the show for tonight. We'd like to thank all those that came on early. Steve, the NBA, and a salute to John McClendon. All right, Steve, you take us away. Before um, we get into NBA news, on a serious note, Kelly Oubre, the small four for the Sixers, was hit by a car. Um, oh, no. Saturday, I believe, and he's got some broken ribs, so he's going to be out for an indefinite period of time. He was in his neighborhood in Philadelphia, and it was a hit and run, so he broke some ribs, so the prayers go out to him. Yes. But uh, NBA News, ever since um, James Harden joined up with the Clippers, they are zero and four. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And Philadelphia is rolling. Tyrese Maxey had 50 points last night. Yes, sir. And he and MB are just tearing it up. They're combining for 60 points. MB 32 and Maxey 28. And uh, Tobias Harris has got life again, mm-hmm. averaging about 19. And uh, Oubre was averaging 16 uh, right here. Well, he's averaging 16 now, and um, of course, he's going to be out for a while. Uh, the Rockets have won six straight. All right, now. Six straight. They start off the year rocky. Uh, they've got young players, and they brought in a couple of veterans uh, that are helping them and uh, with a coach that's going to – he's a no-nonsense guy. Uh, Victor Wimbenyama is the real deal. I thought he was. He's averaging 19 points and eight rebounds. Tyree Halliburton is leading the league in the in assist at 12.2. Um, uh, I think it was, uh, who was it? The Joker? Is it Joker? Mm-hmm. Just leading and rebounding at 13. I think I had it written down. But anyway, um, your top scores are Luca Doncic averaging 32.6, Steph Curry at 30, uh, Kevin Durant at 30. Yep, the Joker's averaging 29 and 13 rebounds. Uh, it's been a uh, – let me see, hold on. Uh, let me see, hold on. Wrong one. <laughs> Sorry. I had some stuff right here. and Oh, here it is. Shoot. But uh, if you look at the East, 
Hold on, the Steve. Top. Before you go to the East, I want you to talk about this. Steph Curry has just set a record, didn't he, for the most games shooting over four threes or more in six or eight games to start an NBA season, and he's shooting at 48%. He's shooting about, what, 38 out of 80 or something like that? He just set a record. Let me tell you how ridiculous. Yeah. Let me tell you how ridiculous he is. Do you know how much work you have to put in <laughs> to be able to shoot the basketball like that? Because mm. you know how I talk about shooting. He's the only one that I will say for sure that could outshoot me. He is pure. He can get it off because he's got the handles for it. He's got the quickness, and he's 35, and he's still yeah. doing it. He's, he's averaging 30 again this year. Uh, I mean, he's just awesome. The, the shot fundamentals are perfect. And, uh, you know, you're talking about a guy who has changed the game with the way he can just stretch the floor mm -hmm. and the way he is influencing younger players that have come up in a positive way, mm -hmm. in a positive way. But he, he's something else at 35 years old and – to be still doing like this and to be, and you know, he moves. Mm -hmm. I mean, you thinking you running around as much as he's moving without the ball and he's still able to have enough wind to, to keep pumping up shots in your face. <laughs> so it's just, uh, he's just pure. Uh, he, he's just pure. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and he is, let me see, where's Golden State? They're in sixth place right now in the West. Of course, it's just, the season is just about 10 games in. Mm -hmm. Philly's number one in the East, Boston two, Indiana three, Miami four, Atlanta five, Orlando six, New York seven, Milwaukee eight. Milwaukee's off to a slow start because uh, Dame has missed two games because Cav, he's supposed to play tonight. Uh, Giannis missed the game. Middlebrooks is... He's not playing back-to-back -back yet. And then they lost um, uh, Jay Crowder. He's going to be out about eight weeks because he's going to have he's going to have to have surgery. Mm -hmm. uh, some of this growing. And so this young season, that the reason I'm not surprised is because of the injuries that have happened. And in the West, you have Denver's one, Dallas two, Minnesota three, Houston at four, Oklahoma City at five, uh, Golden State six, Sacramento seven, and and uh, eight. You have the Lakers and LeBron, <laughs> and so uh, uh, Giannis had a fifty point game, fifty four points the other night. You've had Boston go over had one fifty five in a game. Indianapolis had one fifty two in the game, and you know I like points, but. Uh, you know, it's a long season, got a lot of time left. So, hey, anything can happen. I still think the Lakers and Phoenix are going to move up and uh, yeah. be yeah. in the running. Yeah. yeah. And in the East, I'm thinking Philly, Boston, and Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. yeah. And Atlanta's playing good. Yeah. I want our audience, you know, we start basketball season every year and um, talk about the great Krzyzewski, Bobby Knight, Dean Smith, Tarkanian. But I want our audience to understand where the game came from. And this guy is mentioned way too little in history. And I want you to enlighten our audience the next five minutes or so on none other than Coach the late John McClendon. Because we didn't know about him. 
the world needs to know about. And stay reminded John, of it. Hey, John B. McClendon. Yeah. Uh, he was born April 5th, 1915. He passed October 8th, 1999. And I've got a lot of personal stories about, uh, as they say, Johnny Mack. He was the first African-American coach at a predominantly white university. He was a major contributor to the development of the modern game. Uh, he uh, is uh, been uh, elected to the Hall of Fame on three different occasions. Uh, and he was, he went to the University of Kansas with the inventor of the game, Dr. James Naismith, on the advice of his father. He wanted to go there, and his father wanted him to go there and uh, be under the direct tutelage of um, uh, Dr. Naismith. Uh, he, uh, he wasn't a great player when he was in school, but he knew the game. He played, so he knew the game. Uh, he coached uh, at North Carolina College. He coached at Hampton. He coached at Tennessee State. And he won three straight NAIA titles in 57, 1957, 58, and 59. He's the three-time NAIA Coach of the Year. Uh, he also coached at Kentucky State College, which is now Kentucky University, Cleveland State. And he had a pro stint uh, with the Denver Rockets, who were, you know, like the Nuggets now. Uh, when he was coaching at North Carolina College for Negroes, that's what they called it, <laughs> North Carolina College for Negroes, they had a secret scrimmage with Duke University. Nobody knew about this scrimmage until 1996 wow. when the, de when the de details came out. And they beat Duke 88 to 44. Mm. He won eight straight CIAA championships at North Carolina College. He was the inventor of fast break basketball. People don't realize John McClendon, volleyball came along before basketball. Dr. Naismith wanted it, wanted a sport where you would be moving and cardio. He invented basketball. And McClendon was a direct descendant of that. Naismith and McClendon were out one day walking and they watched some kids playing basketball on the court and how they were going after it on offense and defense. And Naismith said, that's the way the game is going should be played, that you should be aggressive on offense and defense. And McClendon patterned his whole game after that philosophy. Uh, he was the first one, a lot of people say it now, but he was the first one that said he wanted the ball shot every eight seconds. Mm -hmm. Every eight seconds. Uh, he used the platoon system, which meant they were more effective, the game was more fun, but he was a direct descendant. Like um, one of his assistant coaches, who I grew up with his kids, Harold Hunter, who's a great coach, said the game was meant to have action. They wanted action. And that's how McClendon played. They fast break. They kept moving. They moved without the ball. Uh, Cliff, I mentioned to you that uh, 
several years ago, I came up with an offense called fastball. And the thing I liked about it is that I think that my father and John McClendon and Buss Thompson, the great mm-hmm. fist coach, would be proud of it. But he was he was great. He um he was revered by everyone. He they're trying to give him his due now, but it's still not enough. His philosophy, his playing style is still more advanced than what they're doing today. I've got some writings of some stuff that John McClendon had that my dad gave me. And I actually got to meet him once, but then I actually, in New Orleans at the Final Four in 87, got to have dinner with Coach McClendon, Coach Harold Hunter, his his wife, my mom. uh, And uh, it was just, it was awesome. Yeah. He was just, he, he was such a humble, everybody loved Coach Mack and everybody talked about Coach Mack. And um, he was the reason, one of the reasons, him and my dad, the reason I wanted to one day be coach at Tennessee State University because of him. But he was such an innovator. And if you watch basketball now, uh, even some of the pro teams, you know, they come down, if it's not screen and roll, they make a pass. Mm-hmm. Somebody screen rolling and everybody's standing around waiting, like they're waiting for the test results to come back from the health department. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, what are you doing? And you you standing around, you standing over in the corner. And that should be, should be I think we lost okay. that should be movement in basketball. I'm not a I think Bill Self's a good X and O guy. I I'm I think he messes up good teams, but he does well with teams that are not that good that he that he coaches. But one thing about him, the ball doesn't stick when they run offense. The ball doesn't stick. I, I'm watching uh, Purdue right now, and not that Matt Panner's a great coach. He's a pretty good coach, but the ball doesn't stick. Nobody's standing around. Mm-hmm. Arizona, the ball doesn't stick. Mm-hmm. As much as Alabama puts the ball up, the ball gets stuck. Mm-hmm. And like I said, with McClendon, he was saying, you got to have action. Mm-hmm. You got to have action. You should yeah. always be moving. I used to tell my players, especially when I put fa- fastball in, you're always, I had a signal, you're always in go, no matter what. You're mm-hmm. always in go. Mm-hmm. When that ball moves, you should be moving. Mm-hmm. Steve, Johnny Mack was something. Yeah, yeah. That's a great point, with Steve. We're going to have to have part two on that. We can't have basketball season without knowledge of the great African-American coaches. Uh, Big House Games, John and Buzz Pops. There's so many more. Thank you, Steve, for a great segment. Uh, as usual, we're going to give Dr. Kemp the last word before we get out of here. Next week, we have the volleyball coach, GCAC champions. This year, Rashandra Persian. Before they head off to the Nationals, it's coming on our show. We also are going to make sure we get on Barbara Madar. We couldn't get on in the fair to say a few words next week as well. Dr. Kemp, give us a word before we get out of here. Thank you, Dr. Burt. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I was just going to remind everybody, if you are definitely in the tri-state area here in New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia, don't forget about the HBCU College Fair by Ms. Barbara and Malcolm Bernard, Mr. Malcolm Bernard in his honor. Definitely please stay safe 
And Steve, thank you so much for just bringing us that awesome background information on Coach McClendon. I definitely thought a documentary on him and there would not be a Coach K and all the other coaches without him. And it's just, it makes me proud to see his name definitely on the uh, TSU basketball floor. Yes. So thank you all so much. Thanks, Dr. Burke. Sure enough. Listen, before we get out of here, a few weeks ago, uh, we dedicated a show to a guy named Andrew Scott, a former Fisk University basketball player. We lost him, uh, a teammate of mine, on Halloween morning. And this weekend, we're all headed to Nashville, Tennessee. That's where we did the show tonight. We're all in transit. We're going to lay in the rest on Wednesday. We thank everybody for the prayers for us on the show, also for his family and the Fisk family. And for those who didn't or don't get to know him personally in this lifetime, I guarantee you when you get to the other side, you understand what we were talking about on this show. We'll see everybody back next Tuesday. Our normal time, Dr. Cliff Burton's friends. Thanks so much. Thank you, everybody. <laughs>